We were pre-revenue. We had a team of four people and we had just closed a small fundraise that gave us without any revenue, 18 months of run rate. Honestly, I think the company would have died if the pandemic had happened two months earlier. Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. On this episode of Transform It Forward, I sit down with Daphne Hopno, founder of The Vendry. Launched in 2019, The Vendry is a digital marketplace and professional community for the events industry, with over 18,000 members and counting. The events industry was one of the hardest hit by COVID-19. But in response to the situation, Daphne is a great example about how disruption drives transformation. She quickly pivoted to position The Vendry as a community platform for event professionals, enabling them to connect with others and showcase their work. Now it feels like we're getting back to normal and live events are trickling back into the fold. And she is further evolving by looking at the event venue as the hub of her platform business, connecting buyers, providers, and venues. Daphne, thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So to, just to start, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating business as the CMO of a B2B company. You're fixing a problem that is massive for me. In fact, the conversation with my head of brand and comms this morning about our internal event and our customer event and all these things and how, you know, there's never the right mix of, of providers. How did you decide to launch the Vendry? Yeah, um, my background isn't formally in the event space. So for my 20s, for seven years, I worked at a company called Yext, which is a global, it's on the, you know, stock exchange B2B SaaS company. Uh, where I ran partnerships. And when you run partnerships at a big B2B company, I think you, Paul, can appreciate that a big part of your life is events. Your, I guess your team's maybe producing those events. And I was doing everything from, you know, dinners at private dining rooms up to big global trade shows, you know, in Vegas and in Cologne, Germany at DMexico, where, you know, we were meeting with partners and, and clients. And one thing I think I'll also point out as a young woman in my 20s, our internal events team at Yext was, I think out of 10 people, nine of them were women. They were all roughly my age. And so I was sort of socially friends with them in addition to working with them a lot for the events I was going to. And they were doing 180 events a year all around the world out of our New York City headquarters. And a big part of their pain point was finding the venues and vendors for those events. So I set out to help them. It's a fascinating thing because it would seem that there's a lot of analogs like home services where, you know, there's there's a, a huge, wide-ranging, sometimes companies, sometimes independent providers um, where you're trying to find out who are the right people, how do I match to the thing that I need to do? Did you did you look at anything like that to try and say, okay, I, I can see what I can build here? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to, as you pointed out, the home services platforms like HomeAdvisor or Thumbtack in that the nature of our marketplace is that somebody posts what they're looking for and gets proposals. So we call it an RFP platform, you know, for the, for the home services industry, they might call it a lead gen platform, but it's a really hard problem. So I think you're, you're leaning towards this, but there really are not online marketplaces for finding venues outside of the wedding space. So the, in the, the players that exist are basically the knot and wedding wire, which have merged and, and obviously cater to the wedding industry and this is in North America. And then you have a huge company called Cvent, which is a venue sourcing platform, but specific to hotels. 
And part of the reason for that is in a way, the problem our team is trying to tackle is like building Zillow, but without the MLS, which is the core database feeding Zillow. So there's a lot of data that isn't online that we're trying to bring online. So now you're speaking my language because uh, before I decided to get back into big companies, I tried to disintermediate the real estate business and, and Zillow was was one of the proxies. So I, I totally get what you're saying. But when you when you think about what you're trying to do ultimately, you know, platform models are awesome when they're when they're big platforms. Like getting to a level of critical mass, um, you know, the truly the network effect is really, really hard. And you guys have managed in a short period of time to to get a, a breadth of services and a breadth of geographies all covered in that period of time. How did you do it? Yeah, I mean, network effects is really the word. I think what in summer of 2018 was when I first started even thinking about launching this company. We didn't actually launch a website until April of 2019, but it's actually network effects that I saw the potential to tap into that got me sort of intellectually interested in in, uh, launching the business. And the network effects specifically that got us off the ground was that we created a portfolio website. So to break the chicken and egg of any marketplace, you need some sort of hack. And I guess our hack, if you call it, was that we launched a portfolio site catered towards the suppliers in this industry. So the production companies, the venues, the vendors, where they could upload photos of the previous events they've worked on. And what I saw was that they were uploading uploading these photos already to their Instagram account, which really was their main way of, of advertising. And that every time they uploaded the photo, they would tag the other venues or vendors involved. And so we basically went to the whiteboard, the team, and said, can we basically launch house for the events industry where their primary motivation on day one is not necessarily getting a lead from the platform, but just having another you know, nicely branded website for SEO, for sort of industry visibility where they can upload photos of their work. And when they did that, we allowed them to tag the venue if they weren't the venue and then tag the other vendors involved. And our technology was built such that those venues and vendors would get an email saying, hey, you've been credited, claim your profile. And so, I mean, we launched the platform in April of 2019 with literally 10 showcase vendors who had befriended and gotten to create their profiles and the network effects drove organic growth from there. Yeah, that's a great hack. That's a great hack. So is there ultimately a plan to monetize that or is it really just supplier aggregation? Yeah. So we haven't monetized yet. So what, what our, our quick story is we use this sort of supply side focus to get off the ground, get content, start SEOing, get suppliers on the site. One sort of interesting anecdote there is that we intended to just launch in New York. That's where I was literally grabbing coffee with people being like, hey, will you create a profile? And the second production company to ever create their free profile on the site, you know, production companies in New York don't just do events in New York. So her team uploaded this incredible fintech conference that they did in San Francisco, tagged the local caterer and local vendors, and those businesses claimed their profiles, built out their profiles, and all of a sudden we were in San Francisco. So unintentionally, we realized early on that those network effects were going to trigger market hopping dynamics that would let us scale all over the place. And then what happened is our intention, I think in many ways similar to House, was always to leverage this for- portfolio site to then transition as we got a critical amount of supply into a marketplace, just like House did. And so in early 2020, 
after we already had thousands of suppliers on our site, we started building out more marketplace technology where planners could come sort of, you know, get quotes from these uh, venues and vendors. And then the pandemic hit. So that is all of a sudden investing more in technology around booking a venue or, or getting a vendor for a live event lost lost relevancy and we had to change strategies. So it's interesting. So in the nascent part of your development, where were you in your in your growth curve? Was that a mildly disruptive event? Okay, we can now we can reset ourselves, or was that a major disruption that impacted where you were in development and fundraising and everything else? We were lucky in that we had about six weeks before the pandemic closed a pre-seed round. And so we were we were lucky in many ways. And I really want to acknowledge that because I would say we actually, yeah, many of our startup peers, m- most of them were in worse positions than us because we were pre-revenue. We had a team of four people. It was me, a CMO, CTO, and head of community, very strong, small, nimble team. And we had just closed a small fundraise that gave us without any revenue, 18 months of run rate. And so we basically had the, I mean, honestly, I think the company would have died if the pandemic had happened two months earlier, because I mean, I I don't think I could have fundraised. The business was just way too early for an investor to want to put money into a live event startup at that moment in time. And so I think we got very lucky there, but we had the luxury of going to the whiteboard and saying, all right, we have money and good people on the team. Like, what do we do? And building a a marketplace focused around venues at that moment in time didn't seem to make sense. And so I can share a little more, but we ended up building this big community for the industry. Yeah. So talk about that. And the thing that was most interesting when I I looked at what you guys were doing and and congratulations on your recent A round, how did you know this was going to be relevant on the B2B side? It seems that there's, like like we said, plenty of of analogs to the the consumer side, the I'm going to spending my own money sort of approach. But how did you see that this was going to be something that made a lot of sense on the B2B side as well? Yeah, I think there's a couple sort of insights there. So first of all, my experience running partnerships at a big B2B company, I knew, I literally knew how much money we were spending on events and how important they were. And so I was, I was very in tune with the B2B side of the events industry. And then I think as with any startup story, there are multiple touch points that inspire you. So my best friend's husband's a photographer for events in LA, not social events, like you know, brand events, experiential stuff, um, award shows. And one of my other best friends runs an experiential agency in Soho with clients like Peloton and Spotify. And so personally, I had touch points to maybe more the B to C side of the events industry. So brands, you know, I, I came from the brand side that was selling to, to businesses. And then there's also like the Spotify's of the world or, or retailers doing cool pop-ups, which also is, is um, something we focus on. And then the other thing I'll say is that in 2018, Zola raised $100 million. I think it was 2019, but around that time that the Knot and Wedding Wire merged. And so as I intellectually was curious in the event space, there was a lot of activity in the wedding space in particular. And I kept on just thinking, but, you know, events does not equal weddings. Um, and as you look into the numbers, you know, the wedding market at that time was about $70 billion of spend in North America. Corporate events were more like $300 billion. And so... I felt like there was this huge market that wasn't getting the right attention and I was interested to go after it. Yeah, it's a fascinating approach. So talk a little bit about, so, you know, pandemic hits, we're out of the live event business. We all got to figure out how to be virtual in a hurry. You started to go down the path of the community. What was the the shift that you guys did at that time? 
you know, anybody in the events industry will never forget March, April of 2020. And it was just, it was devastating. And it was, it was personally devastating. Like every day I had phone calls with people losing their jobs, trying to advocate to keep on to their jobs, whether they were an in-house event planner, trying to tell their boss, you know, Hey, I can move our in-person programming to virtual. I got this, you know, keep a spot for me on the team or all these small business venues and vendors that were watching everything get canceled, wondering how they were going to like, you know, keep their livelihoods um, around. And so it was really, you know, it was a really challenging time for the industry. And as we went to the whiteboard, what was abundantly clear was two things. People were losing their jobs and those that still had their jobs were trying to figure out how to pivot to virtual. And we felt that we had the opportunity to give the people in this industry sort of an online community and, and true tech platform behind that community where they could be a resource to one another or personally build out their profile to sort of stay relevant. And so we really studied online professional networks. I looked at LinkedIn. We looked at, you know, Girlboss at the time had a platform. We looked at what made these successful and we built a product that launched in September uh, that included discussion boards, a news feed, a jobs board, you know, profiles where people could showcase their industry expertise. And that took off. And so we have over 18,000 members that joined that from all corners of the industry. And for us at the Vendry, we weren't making money, but we gained relevancy. And again, I, I can share how that, that community that we built in the end ends up fueling the marketplace that we're focused on today. And so when you think about, now you've got, you know, two different levels of supply, it would seem like, right? The more consistent, now that we're starting to return back to in-person events and we're all getting vaccinated and hopefully life returns somewhat to normal. But you've also got that sub-segment of all the individuals that typically come when you contract with a great big hotel or you contract with a great big producer, things like that. How do you think about where you take the business because you have the luxury of that mix? It is a vision of ours to end up playing a bigger role in sort of the labor marketplace side of this industry, in addition to the, the venue vendor um, side. But obviously, as a startup, we have to pick and choose. And so right now, we're really focused on helping planners that are planning live events find it really starts with the venue, to be honest. So 80% of our RFPs that come through the platform are looking for a venue. Um, about 20% are looking for vendors. Um, and we're really, from a product perspective, focused on those use cases. But you can imagine a situation where a marketplace extends into the future to do more of the sort of labor side, you know, staffing and all that. Yeah, it's not too hard to see how, uh, and I'm sure uh, it was part of your your long-term vision about how this could really touch every single piece of that, right? I mean, there, there are four or five different companies that we knit together every time we do one of these that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be hard to see how you could disintermediate most of that. And there's a lot of other marketplace opportunities we could look into beyond that. Like gifting is sort of its own piece of an event budget that, that would, you know, potentially unlock a new marketplace category. Experiences are a little bit different. So you're, you know, you're taking your team out to a wine tasting off of the offsite. That's also a little bit different. So we're pretty dedicated to being a marketplace, but you can see how the sourcing extends into categories beyond venues and vendors. 
how do you see your mix long term now that, uh, as in my experience, we discovered that there were there was some part of our overall event strategy that will never go back away from virtual? How do you see the way you're thinking about it? You know, we all like other humans typically, and we want to be together, but we also see the value of doing it on Zoom. So how has it changed both your product strategy and your and your market entry strategy? To be honest, a lot has worked to our advantage, obviously not celebrating any of the pandemic, but I think that the biggest and longest lasting after effect of the pandemic on this industry is really going to affect the meetings side of the meetings and events industry. And so I think back literally just five years, four years when I was working at Yext and I regularly jumped on planes like literally once a week to go from New York to San Francisco or even New York to Germany to basically have a 45 minute conversation in a conference room with somebody else. I think that that is going to be wiped away because it just, it doesn't even make sense. I look at behavior that's fairly recent and I'm like, that wouldn't happen now. That would happen on Zoom. And so I think to the extent that meetings and events were looped together as an industry and obviously things like, you know, hotels, meetings, that sort of transactional face-to-face are a big part of their business. I think that that's going to really go away over time and, and, you know, conversations where there's no experience around it are going to happen virtually to the extent that this is really about relationship building um, and and something deeper than a transactional conversation, I think that's really an event, which is something different. It's not just, you know, a face-to-face conversation. And I think that will continue to happen in person. I don't really believe that virtual has displaced that yet. Looking out, you know, five years. I think that's an interesting way to break it up. I think that one of the takeaways here will be Daphne says short the airlines, but um, we'll, we'll leave that one out. Um, <laughs> I think um, I, I think it, it's it's interesting. You mentioned the experience side of things, and it's always as a marketer that the balance between the communication and the experience, and in a really noisy world, especially when there's just so much junk going virtually. How do you see the people that you guys are dealing with trying to prioritize the experience over just the connection? Is that going to be one of the the points of differentiation is that this is it's not enough just to get everybody together. It's got to be a serious experience. Oh, definitely. And that was already happening. So you look at, you know, the industry words like leisure, the business leisure travel, you know, making the destination part of the hook to get people there. You talk about the festivalization, tough word to say, of, you know, industry conferences. If you look at something like Salesforce's Dreamforce conference, you know, one of the biggest B2B conferences in North America, like that's, I mean, there are parallels to Coachella with how they produce that event. And so I think, you know, if you look at a lot of what's driving how event design is changing, a lot of what I would attribute to that is younger people, Gen Z, millennials, you know, they are the experience economy generation. They want to Snapchat something and induce FOMO with their broader social network, not to oversimplify it. I have elements of that. And the impact of that is not just being seen in consumer marketing, but even again, stuff like Dreamforce. And that's both because of who marketers are trying to target with their marketing experiences, but also it's because of the people joining those event production teams who are joining the events world because they love festivals and they love, you know, Instagramable or Snapchatable moments. Yeah, and you you kind of walked right into where where the the next thought is is because that 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 generation and I'm a lot older than that, but because that generation is perfectly content to prioritize lifestyle over 
long-term career because you don't have to prioritize that anymore. How much do you see offering a platform like you're doing as a way to 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 bring, you know, the gig economy even more, you know, provide many more opportunities like that to people who want to deliver on that kind of experience? You know, I think that sort of taps into the labor marketplace side of where we could head eventually. So right now we have a job sport. We sort of lightly touch upon the more gig economy side of the events market. Again, truth be told, our immediate focus is largely working with like venues who have many employees, you know, full time to get them on the platform. But yeah, the gig economy touches all sides. Uh, One of the other impacts of this pandemic is that, again, unfortunately, organizations have had to lay off a lot of their staff. And as events come back to the world, those organizations are going to lean more, at least initially, on external resources before bringing people back full time. Yeah, I completely agree. So how do you um, how do you see the next five to 10 years? What what do you think is going to happen separating out meetings? Because I think that's a really good way to, to separate it out. What do you think the event business is going to look like? And, and how do you guys play into it? I mean, the truth is that if you'd asked me seven months ago, I would have said, I think that, you know, the vaccine's going to get rolled out and Facebook is going to announce they're doing an event in person. And that's going to mean the curtain is dropping because all of a sudden from a PR perspective, uh, CMOs across the country are going to call their team saying, if Google's doing it, we can do it, get planning. And so seven months ago, I arguably incorrectly thought it was going to be a pretty dramatic, you know, uh, step function of events coming back. Delta has thrown that for a curve. And now I think everyone's confused if where we even are in the pandemic, right? Like, is this post pandemic? Are we still in the pandemic? And that's led to a lot of sort of confusion on event strategies. Like nobody really, now that we've accepted Delta's problem or COVID staying around potentially forever, it's like there, there is no curtain dropping moment. And so a lot of what I tie the return of corporate events back to is going to be the moment when we get back in office. And, you know, maybe that'll be January of 2022. I don't know when that'll be. I think companies have stopped predicting it. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I did international travel last week and we are still very much in a pandemic. I think yeah. it'd be great to say we were done, but they're they're corners of the universe that are definitely not. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the, the labor side of things and, 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 and I would imagine you, you, there's plenty to say grace over on the venue side of things. Are there pockets of the venue side of things that is, that seems to be more receptive to what you guys are trying to do? Oh, everyone's receptive. I mean, we're also pre-revenue and so we're basically delivering value right now without asking much, but you know, a lot of the challenge for us, again, referencing that Zillow analogy is getting all of these venues onto the platform when a Google events team who uses us might one day be planning an event in Detroit, the next day in Louisville, the next day in LA. And so um, we have to combine our technology, basically automating the onboarding of these venues if they're not already on the vendry with a human services layer that acts as a concierge helping those planners. Well, you've been very generous with your time. It's a great business. I I can see pieces that are just, um, it looks like you're going to have a long run and I wish you all the best. My last question is um, a little bit more personal. So after a long day of doing a startup and raising money and getting people on, the platform, what kind of music do you like to listen to? So we, our team is back in office and we opened up our office uh, in here in Brooklyn, New York in early September. 
And my team has been giving me a lot of trouble for how much Nora Jones I listen to when I work. So, you know, just her melodic voice is, is peaceful to me. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. And we were listening to Nora Jones last week and we said, whatever happened to Nora Jones? Why are I we know. not have, why don't we not have a new Nora Jones album? I'm still streaming her. So she's relevant to me. Daphne, you're awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Bob. I really enjoyed my conversation with Daphne, and really four things came to mind. Takeaway number one, to break into the marketplace and platform business, you need to hack the system. For the Vendry, their strategy included creating a branded supplier platform to encourage vendors to sign up and create a profile. Once they had built enough supplier momentum, their network growth was exponential. Takeaway number two, Daphne's experience working with events for a B2B company gave her the ability to recognize the value of the problem. As with any other startup, she noted there are multiple touch points and contacts along the way that made it possible to get the idea off the ground. Third, building a platform business requires considering and ultimately tapping into every element of events, including gifting, corporate meetings, more. The broad nature of the industry provides plenty of opportunities for growth and expansion into the future. And while there'll certainly be long-lasting shifts to the industry as a result of the pandemic, in-person events are already bouncing back and will continue into the future. And fourth, looking at the driving factors behind the evolution of event design, younger people like Gen Z and millennials are the generations of experiential events. Given the power of social media, experiential events are bigger than ever and things like Dreamforce from Salesforce will continue to gain traction in the event space moving forward. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway, who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.